England to, um, to plant a church. And I was eight years old, and I was like, yeah, what are we doing? You know, we actually drove across the country with an old Buick, like a 75 Buick station wagon. One of those ones with the electric rear window that goes up into the top. Does anybody remember that? And, uh, you know, like the wood sort of sticker on the side. And, and on top of that was one of those horses that you bounce on with the springs. You remember those? So that was like tied on top of that vehicle with a U-Haul trailer. And that's how we came across from California <laughs> to Rhode Island. And, um, and so just, you know, having my parents be so radical in their faith, like we're going to go somewhere where less people know about Jesus in the way that, you know, in, in the experience that we have had, because at that time there weren't that many sort of evangelical churches like Calvary Chapel style, where it's a little more relaxed and an emphasis on grace and what God's done for us. There weren't that many churches out here like that back then. And, uh, and so my parents felt that calling, that, that radical kind of thing, like we're going to get up and move from California to Rhode Island to New England to start a, start a church. I have a question. Is this New England? Are we in New England? That was a great answer. That was just a great answer. <laughs> so uh, I heard like half no's and half yeses. So I, I remain confused. Um, <laughs> it's great. Now you have more snow than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting to see any of this snow, but here it is. So, um, so growing up for me, the idea was you can go anywhere. Like the world is open to you. You don't have to think about, um, what's important is what does God want to do with your life? Like, it's not so important, like, uh, I need to stay in this area, or I always grew up here, so I should stay here, or, you know, where's my job that I want to get, or whatever. The most important thing for us is to know where God wants us to be, (laughs) you know, and sometimes that's through a job opportunity, sometimes that's through something else, but but to know where does God want me to be? And for me, growing up in that kind of environment where we were moving for God's work, I just felt like I could go anywhere. And as a young man, I went on a, a few short-term mission trips. Um, some of those were to far East Asia, so like Thailand and Hong Kong. And I went to, I went to Hong Kong. Some of you remember Teen Mania. I went with Teen Mania to Hong Kong with 60 teenagers, and we, like, we, we were crazy. But we, like, shared the gospel on the streets of Hong Kong, and we smuggled Bibles into China, and we did all... You have to take that off the live stream. No, um, but we, we did all kinds of things, and, um, and so we were, like, just had... I just, I just grew up with that attitude, and so, so I went to Israel for a semester in my university, my, my bachelor's degree. I went to Taylor University in Indiana. And as part of my degree, I went for a semester into to Jerusalem. And um, just my heart really connected with that, the people there and the land. And um, so we, I came back 
finished my degree, moved back to Rhode Island, and I met Irene. Irene had been going to my dad's church. She started going there while I was in Indiana and met Irene, and the best decision of my life, besides following Jesus, is marrying Irene. We're almost up to 19 years, just a little bit more than 19 years. It's pretty amazing these days, you know, um, to see people sticking together. I mean, I've just, we met uh, Dave and Cilicia, Cilicia, <laughs> just yesterday, I'm staying at their house, amazing hospitality. But, you know, 20 years for you guys, that's amazing too. So, I mean, just like, you know, anyway, God has used marriage in my life to really sharpen me. Um, but we were sitting and um, we got married and we had this map on the wall and we said, Lord, where do you want us to go? We'll go anywhere that you want us to go. And um, it just, we ended up feeling called to go to Israel. We went and checked it out. And we ended up moving to Israel. And we said, we're going to go there for two years. So we said, guys, can you pray for us? And Rick knew about this back then. And we were, we were like, hey, guys, we're going to go to Israel for two years. Pray for us. We need to get this all together. And that was 17 years ago. <laughs> and, and we stayed there for 17 years. Just a few months ago, we moved back to the U.S. And, you know, it's like really complex uh, to try to summarize 17 years of your life and explain what God did. But some of the highlights are, you know, we, we started like um, student ministries. So we were, had student Bible studies where students were coming and just studying methodologically through the Bible. And in Israel, there are a lot of international students. So we had like an international student Bible study, and then we had a Hebrew, so that was in English. And then we had a Hebrew language student Bible study for Israeli students. And that was one of the main things we've done for a long time, seen a lot of students come and go. And at the beginning, um, we were like the same age as those students, you know, so they're coming in. And then like this past year, we're like, they're like, yeah, you know, you're the same age as my dad. And I'm like, yeah, this is different now. And, and so, um, so it's been cool to see what God has done. And uh, just in, we, a lot of the students who had come to the, the group there had never really studied the Bible in a really inductive sort of verse-by-verse verse way. So they ended up taking that back to wherever they came from and starting groups like that in different places. And it's been really amazing to see that. Um, some of them. Um, so another thing we did was we started a church, and that was three years ago. We started this congregation, and, you know, growing up, my dad, we, when we came out here to the East Coast area, and we started that church, it was one of the most difficult things in the world. Like, I remember 9, 10, 11 years old, like, I knew how to do everything because there was nobody else to do all that stuff. So I've set, I've set up so many chairs. I have ran so many mic cables. You know, we were meeting in schools, so we have to set up and tear it down every time, and I can run the soundboard, and I was, <laughs> this is, you know. And I just remember how difficult that was. And, uh, and so I said in my heart, I will never start another church again. <laughs> and, and you know how God loves to 
take our nevers and turn them into something else. So, so we started this congregation um, three years ago, and uh, and Israel is a very interesting country. One of the reasons that we chose to go to Israel was because Israel does not have very many believers in Yeshua, believers in Jesus. There's, there's not that many. And you might think, oh, well, how many? There's less than 1%. That's very few. So if you think about countries that don't have believers in Jesus, talking about Japan, less than 1%. I don't know if you knew that. Other Muslim countries, like especially in that 1040 window. Um, there's places where if you want to know about who Jesus is, you probably don't know who to ask. You know, like, how can you find that friend? So, so for a lot of times, we were people's first Christian friend. Um, and that, for someone who's never heard the gospel before, it takes some time for the ideas to kind of like develop in your mind. It's, it's very rare that you're going to come to someone and say, you know, there's this guy, Jesus, he lived 2,000 years ago. He taught amazing things. He did amazing miracles. He was killed, but he rose from the dead. And, you know, you can be saved from your sin. You can be forgiven for everything you've done wrong because of this one person. There's very few times when you're going to say that and someone's going to just, first time they hear it. It takes time. And especially when you think about Jewish people because... Jewish people have been persecuted for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. And sadly, some of that was done by Christian people. <laughs> you know? Um, and I wish that it was all just myths, but there have been crazy things that have happened. There are actually true stories of Christian people, and, you know, I'm saying Christian in terms of culturally Christian, people who may be Catholic or whatever, but there were times where there's been instances in the past, 1,500 years ago, where in the name of the church, people came and stole Jewish babies out of their beds and baptized them to try to make them Christian so that they would be saved or something, you know. Like so many wrong ideas in that, in that concept, uh, like, I can't imagine, but, but to come to someone and say, hey, you know, actually, there's this Jewish rabbi named Yeshua, Jesus, who loves you, and, like, try to erase all of those preconceived ideas. There's so much negativity toward the New Testament, even, because you don't, they don't realize it's written by Jewish people for Jewish people. Like, it's really written by Jewish guys who wrote that New Testament. And... And we as Christians, we need to be so thankful for that. Like, we're always thankful that the Jewish people preserved the Old Testament scriptures, right? But they also wrote most of the New Testament as well. <laughs> so we have a lot to thank our Jewish friends for. But um, I remember one time I was talking to a guy and I said, hey, you know, he kept asking me all these questions about the New Testament. And I said, you can just read it, you know, I, I, I could just give you one. And he said, no, you can't give me one because if I touch it, that's not, like, I, I can't touch it. And it's like a curse for my family. And I said, well, you can read it online. And he said, oh, really? <laughs> and, you know, 
so I, I never saw that guy again. I don't know what happened with him, but, but one of the things that I worked on for a lot of years was to help create a Hebrew Bible website where you can read all in Hebrew, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and listen to it and everything, kind of like, like a Bible gateway type thing or Bible hub or whatever, but in Hebrew. So, so we did that for a lot of years with the Bible Society in Israel, and, uh, and that has shown a lot of fruit. Um, and like I said, it's just small seeds. So we planted this church three years ago, small group, little by little, people growing. And um, one of the most beautiful things was to turn the church over to a young couple, a young Israeli couple, who went and studied at the Calvary Chapel Bible College in York, England, with Dave Sylvester as the pastor over there. And, and, uh, and so they studied there for two years, and they got all kinds of good training. And they came uh, back to Israel, and they joined our team. And so they have been, you know, they worked with us for three years. And then three months ago, we turned the, the congregation over to them. And it was amazing. Um, so so we, we were planning to come back to the States for a year and just like share what God has done and show, you know, different pictures before and after and with before the kids and with the kids and all the wrinkles we got over the years and all kinds of stuff like that. And that was our plan. But, um, but then October 7th really like changed everything for us. And so um, my friend, Victor, who took the congregation over for me, he was called on that same day to military service to reserve duty. And so the, our services in Israel are on Friday nights because really the Jewish like week, Sunday is a work day, and Friday night, Saturday is our days off. So we don't want to take somebody's only day off and have our service on a Saturday, so we have our services on like a Friday after, late afternoon. Um, so on Friday night, Victor and his family and all the people from the church were having a meeting together, and they... They ate together with, with another congregation, and they had like this really great meal. 24 hours later, Victor is in the middle of a battle fighting for his life, people dying, seeing things that should never have been seen by anyone, impossible atrocities that you couldn't even imagine. And I, I, there's stuff that happened there that, you know, I, I don't even want to say out loud, you know, Things that were done using, using even modern technology to multiply the evil that happened there. Um, there were people from Hamas, these terrorist guys who came across the border, thousands of them, and they, they killed 1,400 people in a matter of hours. So Israel's a country of like 10 million, approximately. So if you multiply that out and you say, okay, well, how, if we multiply that to compare it to the United States proportionally, right, that's like 15 9-11s. That's like if all the, you know, because in 9-11 there was like about 3,500 that died. And so if, we, if you multiply it out and, and do the percentages and everything, it's like this is 
horrendous for that nation. Like, everybody knows everybody. I had a friend of mine who wasn't like my closest friend, but a guy who I sat in his room, in his living room and played music with him. And, and I shared the gospel with him. And he died that day. He, he was nearby. And, and they killed him because he was there and he was Jewish. And, uh, you know, they, they, they took people's phones and they live-streamed their deaths to their loved ones on Facebook. Like, how can you come up with this kind of evil? <laughs> you know, like, where, where does this come from? And how do we respond to that as the church today? Like, what, is our, what are we supposed to do? And so, really what I want to do today, and I, this is a very heavy, serious topic. <laughs> like, I can't... I, I don't, you know, I would like to make it lighter for all of us, but if I make it lighter, then I'm not doing it justice, and I have to serve, I have to serve you well, and, and we have to deal with the issues at hand. We are believers in Jesus. We are made for times like these. And so we can look at this stuff, and, and we can understand it. So what I want to do is I want to look at some scriptures together and just unpack a little bit of this, like, what is happening in the spiritual realm? Because there are things happening right now that are spiritual and it's beyond what, you know, just the physical and especially beyond anything the news might describe, <laughs> you know. I don't care what news you watch. They're not bringing you, like, the, the spiritual depth of information that we need as, as Christians. And so we come to the scripture and, and that's what we're looking at. So I'd like to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and... Um, and and Rick convinced, convinced me to have like a question and answer at the end. So we'll try to do some sort of like little question and answer time together at the end of just about anything you want to ask about Israel, about our life, whatever, anything you want to ask. But we're going to jump into a short Bible study, and then we will exercise our spiritual um, muscles a little bit, okay? So... So Ephesians chapter 5, sorry, 6, 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And, uh, and as you know, this is talking about spiritual battle. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would speak to our lives. We pray that we would be ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us. And we pray that you would give us courage in these times. In Yeshua's name, amen. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. I just want to read that one more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a spiritual force 
of evil that we can't see. And, you know, we don't want to, like, overemphasize that and just think about Satan everywhere, you know. Like, some people are like, some people take it to the extreme, and they're like, man, this traffic, that's the devil getting me. You know, I'm trying to get to work, and the devil's trying to stop me, and this is ter- this traffic, you know. Or like, man, my coffee's burnt this morning. That's the devil. We don't want to overemphasize the devil's power, right? But there is an enemy who is working in, in the spiritual realms around us. And, you know, there's some people who have really done very well in describing that. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape, Lever, Le, Screwtape Letters talks about how these, these, uh, these demons were trying to come up with different strategies to keep, keep people from believing in Jesus, from faith in Jesus, and also making them completely ineffective as believers in Jesus. If, the, if, the, if our enemy can make us completely ineffective, then, then he's really happy about that, you know? And, and so we have this battle, and, um, and we, can look, we can look sometimes in the world happenings, and maybe we, can, we just get confused, and we're like, hey, this is, this is just like people and their, what their desires are, but I think that, that sometimes we can take a look and we say, you know, there's something dark here that's happening even bigger than what, it's not just human, there's something worse <laughs> happening here. And, and so I want to jump back to Genesis chapter 3, just to like get to know our enemy just a little bit. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. The first time we read about the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And uh, yeah, let's read verse 10 too. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid. So here is Adam and Eve in this garden. The first two people, beautiful place, paradise, right? No snow. I'm sorry. There was no snow. And, and, and you know, a really just comfortable environment. You can be comfortable in your own skin. That was a joke. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just 
just really like you can eat anything, anytime. It's delicious and really open. And you have this relationship with God where he comes and walks in the garden in the cool of the day and you just speak with God. You speak with him like a man to his friend. You just speak with God. No distance at all. But God gave one command, right? He just gave one command. Now we have a lot more of uh, commands because our sin nature twists us around so much that we need someone to tell us what's right. So that's what the scripture does for us. But, but God said, hey, there's just one thing. Just don't eat from this tree. You can do anything you want. And, and so the serpent comes. And let's pay attention. The serpent was actually a physical serpent. This is a physical being, but he was also representing a spiritual being <laughs> as well, right? This serpent. And, and so Satan, our enemy, comes and says, hey, uh, what did God really say? Did he really say this? And he caused Eve to doubt God's goodness. When God asks us to do something, it is for our own good. It is always for our own good. And it brings glory to him as well. But we have to recognize that he knows better than us. You know? And many times we'll say, well, you know, I know God says this, but it seems like that's less beneficial to me right now. So I'm going to go this other, I'm going to try to take this shortcut. I'm going to try to go around this other way. You know, so you want to have a really good relationship with your neighbors? Don't steal from them. <laughs> like, you want to have a really good relationship with your wife? Keep your eyes only for her. Don't, adult, don't have any adulterous thoughts or, or, you know, like Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes to only look at my wife, you know? To not, actually he said it the other way around, but to not look at any young woman with a lust. But, um, but the idea is that God's, God's commands are good for us. Like God says, you know, it's good to gather together as the, as the body of Christ. It's good. And it's not good to not to. And there's a lot of, a lot of things that God says, hey, this is good. And we go, well, I don't, I think I found a better way, God. And then we find out that he was right in the beginning. And, and this, is, this is Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. God says, here's the best thing you can do. Just don't eat from that one tree. And the serpent says, he's actually holding something back from you that's good. That's a lie, right? The enemy likes to lie. And he says, God is holding back from you something that you want that's good. And it's just not true. So the enemy is trying to do two things. He's trying to cause people to disobey God's command. And he's trying to cause distance in our relationship with God. So what happened is all of a sudden they're hiding from God. All of a sudden they're afraid of God. And they were not afraid of God before. And they weren't hiding from God before. And so, so that has been his goal forever, to attack the people of God and break that relationship with God. Right? Now, um, let's jump back to the other end of the, the book, to Revelation. And let's just take a look and see what Revelation 12 has to say about this topic. 
Um, as you know, the book of Revelation was written by the apostle John, and John was on the island of Patmos. These guys are really good. There's a lot of good, quick answers here. On the island of Patmos, and he was in prison, and, and he had time. So he wrote this letter, this, this uh, vision out that God gave him. And, so, and they tried to kill him, but God preserved his life so that he could write this for us. And there's a lot of very interesting stuff in this book, a lot of metaphorical language. We're not going to unpack everything, but there's some stuff here about the spiritual battle we're in, which is really interesting. Verse 1 of chapter 12, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Moon, sun, and 12 stars. What's that coming from? Joseph. Joseph had that vision. And so most people will agree that this woman represents Israel. So the woman, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. It's Israel. And she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. So, I don't know if you realize this, this is like the craziest version of the Christmas story you've ever read. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if you've ever seen a nativity with a dragon in front of a woman about to give birth, trying to devour the baby, you know, but that's what's happening. This baby is the Messiah. It says, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's coming from Psalm chapter 2, which we know is a messianic prophecy about the Messiah who will come and rule. And Jesus hasn't done that yet, right? And even in this passage, he didn't rule yet. But the woman, who's, who's the woman? Israel. So Israel gave birth to the Messiah, and the enemy thought, I'm going to stop this. So he tried to kill him at his birth, right? Who tried to kill him? Herod. And then other people maybe tried to throw him off a cliff over in Nazareth, right? You remember that part? And then, in the end, they killed him. They killed the Messiah. But, <laughs> we know he rose from the dead, right? But, but the enemy thought, I'm going to kill the Messiah and stop this whole plan of God because I really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win in this way. I'm going to not allow... God's salvation to come to people. So Jesus is God's hand reaching down to us, and, and Satan's like, I got to stop this from spreading any further. And so he tried to kill the Messiah, and, he, and, and they succeeded in killing the Messiah. Was Satan involved in that? Absolutely, <laughs> right? It says that Satan entered into Judas, right? And so, so in, in this whole thing, Satan's trying to kill the Messiah, and in the end, he succeeds. But uh, in the end, verse, uh, verse 5, it says, And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Jesus ascended to heaven. 
and we're waiting for his return. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So that's this cosmic battle happening, right? This, this incredible cosmic battle that we don't see. We, we can't see that. We don't know that there's angels fighting right next to us. You know, there could be like swords swinging past our head and we don't know. But there's this cosmic battle happening. And it says that the angels, the, the great dragon, which we know from another place, he used to be an angel. But he fell with a third of the angels, right? So it's not like yin and yang where we have like half good and half evil and they balance and fight each other. No, no. God is still all powerful. And even if all the angels fell, he would still win. But there's still two thirds who are fighting with God and a third of them were deceived. Think about that. A third of the angels were deceived. (laughs) That's a pretty huge concept. So so he was hurled down to the earth. Verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, his Messiah, Christ, Messiah, same word. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. This this, uh, dragon, the accuser of the brothers and sisters, he, he has been hurled down. But they, us, we overcame him. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the lamb, he thought, by this blood I will conquer over God, but actually that became his undoing. The blood of the lamb, by the blood of the lamb, I can come into the presence of God clean. By the blood of the lamb, I can say all my sins have been forgiven. And they are many, trust me. If I started to tell you all my sins and how much blood I need, you'd probably think that you were doing pretty well, you know. But, but the blood of the Lamb covers me. And so I can come before, before God and say, I, I've, I've been cleansed. And, and so that's one thing, which remembering that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And number two, that we have the word of our testimony. What has God done for us? And in this crazy world today, we can never forget what God has done for us. I don't know how many of you share your testimony very often. A lot of times we kind of get into this sort of circle of people and those are the people we're with and they're the people we have at work and the people we have in our you know, neighborhood and the people we have in our, I don't know, club, whatever kind of club it is. And, and we just get used to that. And then we don't like share so much our story But let me tell you something. There's nothing more powerful than telling your story. This is what God has done for me. Guys, I just want to tell you that God has done something for me. 
And, you know, we got to find some creative way to slip that in there. <laughs> you know, like, like, how do you, how do you come in and say, hey, you know, I, I need to tell you my story, but we need to do that. Like, people need to hear that. People need to hear what God has done for you. There are people in your life that only you can tell them what God has done for you. And so, so as we, you know, go through these holidays even, like, it's difficult, but hey, it's Christmas, you know, like, hey, you know, it's Christmas, and that's like about the Messiah. That's about Jesus. Can I tell you something interesting about what Jesus did for me? Now, I don't recommend that, you know, you, you stop the, the, uh, the cashier at the supermarket and talk to her for an hour, but, but you can slip something in there, and you can say, hey, God bless you, and you know, like, Jesus changed my life, you know, here's a card to our congregation. Here's a card to our church. You know, you're invited. Love to see you there. Like, tell your story. Like, that's, that's one of our most powerful tools. And, and so that's how we overcome, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And it says, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They didn't love their earthly life so much as to, to give it up for their eternal life, <laughs> right? And and there's a, a guy who does this one talk, um, and he uses a rope, you know, and he uses this long, long rope, and he colors just the end of the rope, and he's like, guys, this is our life here on earth, and this rope is our eternity, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and we, don't, we know what's more important. <laughs> like, that's what we know. We know that our eternal life is so much more important than anything that happens here. So I'm willing to give up being cool, I'm willing to give up being whatever, being accepted. I'm willing to give up my life. I will not shrink back from death because I know that if I die, my life goes on. And it's going to be way more important and way more beautiful than this one. So, so that's who we are, guys. That's who, that we believe in Jesus. Like we, we are made for this time. We are made for this kind of challenge. And, you know, there's so many things that try to take our eyes off of that eternity. Hey, it's Black Friday. Get a bigger TV and get a bigger gaming system and, get, and that's all good, fine, whatever. But that's not what we're living for. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's who we are, you know. I think it would be really cool if somebody like went into Best Buy and somehow hijacked all those TVs and got like some sort of preaching on there. You know, like some, I don't know. There's just like all these huge TVs, and if we could just like switch them over to something. Anyway, I don't know. Don't get in trouble. And don't tell anybody I said that. Um, when the dragon, verse 13, when the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Who's the woman? Israel. So we have this dragon who's still pursuing the woman. <laughs> and, and I don't need to tell you the history if we look at the stories, what happened in Egypt in the days of Moses, they tried to kill all the male children of Israel, which would kill off the Israelis, right? Then, you know, we look forward. There's, there's so many over and over again trying to come and kill the Jewish people. And you say, what's the big deal? Like, why does, why does everybody try to kill them? <laughs> and they say, why is everybody trying to kill us? You know, there's this, there's this movie about... Uh, World War II where some guys are hiding in the woods and this rabbi's praying. He was like, 
can't you choose someone else for once, God? <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like, you know, we, why? Well, there's actually a spiritual enemy trying to kill the Jewish people so that he can say, ha, you can't fulfill all the promises that you promised to Israel. There are all these promises in the prophetic books that were promised to Israel, and they don't apply to us. There's some that do, but a lot of them don't. Like, for example, the land. Like, we can't just go over to Israel and be like, hey, I believe in Jesus. I'm adopted into the family of Abraham. Now this is my land. Like, we can't, that's not for us, guys. There are promises that are promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the children of Israel that are not fulfilled yet. And so if the, the enemy is successful in demolishing the people of Israel, then God can't fulfill his promises anymore. So that's one reason, and just the obvious reason of that, like, he hates God. <laughs> like, that's pretty... So he's trying to kill anybody who has connected to God, right? Now, to be clear, Jewish people, they need Jesus still. Jewish people need to know about this rabbi that lived 2,000 years ago and taught all the people of Israel and, he, and did amazing miracles and healed people and died and rose from the dead. And he said, you can't come to the Father except by me. And who did he say that to? Jewish people. So they, the most loving thing you can do for any Jewish person you know is to tell them about that, that guy, that rabbi, that Jewish guy who died and rose from the dead. That's the most loving thing you can do for any Jewish person. They might not think you're loving them, but you are. And so you have, like, we need to do that, right? Um, but there's another, like, there's another mistake that people can make. Some, some people make that mistake saying, you know, Jews don't need to hear about Jesus. They already have, they're all set with God. That's not true. It's not true. Jesus himself said, I am the way. I'm the only way. And then you have other people who say, well, all the promises God doesn't care about the Jews anymore. All the promise, it's just, you know, it's been transferred to us. And that's not true either. As I was just talking about the promises God made to them, it's not fulfilled yet. And so we have this thing happening where the dragon is pursuing the woman. And if we look at verse 14, <clears throat> the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who's that? That's us. So... This is crazy. Like, there's this dragon. First of all, he's, he's attacking this woman. Then he's attacking her offspring, the first offspring, which is the Messiah, which is Jesus. And then he's attacking all the rest of her offspring who are following God's commandments and, and holding to the testimony of Jesus. That is us. Like, if there's anything we are in the world, we're those people who are holding to the testimony of Jesus, right? Our citizenship, first of all, is not American. It's Jesus. It's not Israeli. It's not whatever. Our first and foremost identity is Jesus. And so, um, it, it's so interesting. It says here, oh, 
those who obey God's commandments. Because what has the enemy been trying to do since the beginning? Cause us to stop obeying his commandments and break that relationship with God and ruin our lives, by the way. <laughs> and so, so you might be somewhat younger and you might say, well, you know, I want to try things my own way. You can, you can. But if you follow God's commands, it's going to be better for you. I promise. And I'm not going to be here afterward, so you can't beat me up if it's not true, but I'm telling you it's true. <laughs> you know. And so, so I just think it's important that we realize that the enemy, and to say it in the most clear terms, the root of anti-Semitism is actually, it's not just that people don't like Jews. There's actually a satanic root to anti-Semitism. And, you know, you, you don't want to come up to every person who is an anti-Semite and say you're satanic. Like, that's not a, necessarily a, a good approach. But, but for us to realize that that enemy... So how did, how did Hamas... How did Hamas come in and do things that, that are completely indescribable? Like, how did they do that? How did they have the stomach to do that? Like, I couldn't even imagine doing those things. Well, first of all, they, they took drugs. Like, I don't know if you know that, but they took this drug that, that and it, when you take mind-altering drugs, it kind of blocks your emotional response. And so, so you know, I don't need to tell you, like, let's live our own emotions out. You know, we don't need to get all kinds of things to, to change our emotions for us, to change our life from chemicals you know like let's let's live our own life and let's feel our own emotions and let's bring that stuff to god like let's stay away from anything that alters that but but these guys opened up themselves to a spiritual kind of through drugs and through hatred of israel through islam and they 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 were able to i believe there was like a satanic just like attack that caused them to be able to do things that I think afterward they look back and they're like, what did we do? Like, I don't think as a human being you can see that, that, that you could do that. Like, things they did to, to mothers who were pregnant, things they did to babies who were just, like, things, and this is all verified, it's true. They, ver- they, they filmed it themselves. <laughs> and, and how could they do that? I think we have to recognize there's some like satanic stuff happening here, you know? And so what do we do? Do we just go, oh man, Satan's working in the world. We better just sell all our stuff and live here in this church and never, we, we better hide, you know? Like it's, it's getting bad out there. This is our time. Like if there's any time that this is our time, like it's now. Like we need to be out there sharing God's love in a powerful way. And there's, there's some tools we have and, so let's just jump back to Ephesians chapter 6. And, uh, and we're going to close up real quick here, you guys. So stay with me. Ephesians chapter 6. It says in verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after everything, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We know this passage, the, the, the armor of God, right? The belt of truth. And then it, we know that's the scripture, right? We need, we need truth. We need truth more than ever, you know? Right now there is like, what is truth? Like there's so many, so difficult to know what is truth. We need to know this, guys. And, and uh, it even says at the end, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like this is one of our primary things. When Jesus was tempted by the, by the evil one, he fought back with the word because we need to know the word. And, you know, I don't need to tell you that because you guys are all answering all my questions like in five seconds. So, but let's just keep that up. Like, let's keep going with that. Um, it says that with the shield of faith, we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Like you're under attack. You're getting tempted. You can win. Like sometimes you feel like, man, I'm getting tempted and I'm going... I just, I, I'm, I'm like helpless against this. But it's not true. That's the lie. You can win. And you can say no. And you can reach out for help from somebody who's in this congregation, in this church. You can win. You, you have to be humble <laughs> and say, I need help to God, to each other. But you can win. And it says you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now we fall, right? So we get up again. But, but just to say that, that we can win those battles. But he finishes his whole list with this. And uh, we, we remember that Paul is in prison when he wrote this book. Like here's another letter written from prison. And he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, which I for which I'm an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I think we could all probably ask that prayer request. <laughs> like he says, pray for me that I can, I can open my mouth and say things without fear. Uh, I can share the gospel without fear. I think we can all identify with that prayer request. But this idea that prayer, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is extremely powerful. And it's very comforting to me to know that I can pray for my friends in Israel and it matters, <laughs> you know. It's very comforting to me to know that people are praying for me from other places and other states and other countries and it matters. It changes the reality. Like what you were saying earlier, Rick, like we can pray and it has an effect. And, and so we should pray all kinds of prayers on all occasions and we need to be alert and keep on praying for all the saints. And so, um, so I want to take a moment and pray together. And we're going to do this in a sort of different way. And maybe, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, need, we need to just pray. So, so just to sum up our story a little bit, we, we came back and we didn't think we'd be going back to Israel uh, till May because I actually, I did finish my PhD. I finished my PhD in Israel. Um, and 
I, I was a student there for a long time, and uh, it took a long time to do my PhD, but I finished. So my graduation is next June. So we thought, okay, we're in Israel. We're going to buy a round-trip ticket from Israel back to Israel. So we're going to go back in the end of May, and we're going to go to this graduation, and we'll see what God does. We're not actually sure whether we'll be allowed to stay in Israel or not. We don't know what's next for us exactly. We're in kind of a personal transition, but we thought we're not going to go back to Israel until then. But then when this whole thing happened, um, and my friend was called to military service, so then all of a sudden I needed to jump in and help out. So I've been like leading the congregation as like a step-in pastor over Zoom and phone calls and WhatsApp and whatever. For so, so that's what I've been doing the last month and a half. And then we were like, we can't we can't just not be there. Like, we need to go there. <laughs> so, so Irene went there for a week and then came back for a few days. And then I went there for a week and, and I just got back a couple days ago um, just to bring stuff that people need. That We have brought some supplies and we met with a lot of people and we met with some of our soldier friends and prayed for them. And, um, you know, there weren't soldiers two months ago, <laughs> but they are now. <laughs> and so... So just amazing things like I have a friend who who is in charge of clearing out explosives. <laughs> you know, him and his team clearing out thousands of explosives that were left to, to booby trap places, like just intense, intense stuff. And these are believers. And so they're like trying to share God's love in this crazy environment, so intense. Um we are considering um, bringing people with us to, to help out at some point. So if you want to do that, there might be an opportunity for that. You could, you could tell me about that, okay? We also have like an email list, of, and we'll send you some more prayer requests and prayer updates. If you want to be on that, you need to ask me or Irene to get on that. Um, but what I want to do right now is pray for some people who we haven't mentioned yet today, and that's the hostages. So... Not only did they come across the border and they killed 1,400 people, but they also took 240 people with them. And you know this already, but Gaza is a crazy place. And when they talk about human shields, like the idea is underneath Gaza is, Gaza is 320 kilometers squared, like 320 square kilometers. I don't know what that is in miles, sorry. But it's big. It's small, but it's big, you know, in, in that sense. But there's 500 kilometers of tunnels underneath <laughs> that 320 kilometers. Like, it's a lot of tunnels. And so when you place your tunnels underneath somebody's house, those people are your human shields. Like, you can't... How, do you, how does the Israeli military go in and find those people and take them out until... And, without, like, it's an impossible task. It's crazy. So, so um, what I'd like to do is take these pictures and we want to give out, like, we want to give them out, like, one, let's just do, like, let's, let's just do, like, three each. Can we do three each? Take that other stack for me. Give me one of those. <clears throat> Give me two of those. Three of those. Thanks. 
So these are pictures of these are pictures of the hostages that were taken and their names and their ages. And what I want to do, guys, is I want to pray for them. And uh, and so um, there's this amazing thing happening right now where some of them are being released. Right? Some of them are being released. And they're being traded for for um for Hamas terrorists basically <laughs> and and so you think about this here's a 12-year-old kid who was stolen out of his bed and they're trading him for some other people who like stabbed people <laughs> tried to kill people whatever you know and somehow they're, they're they're making that some kind of equation so but don't ever get confused that oh yeah they're it's like Israel and Hamas trading, trading equal. That, that's, don't get confused about that. <laughs> like These guys are, are kids sleeping in their beds being stolen against people who like tried to kill people and, and they're trading, you know? Like, I don't know how you do that. They're, they're in like a really, really complicated situation. Like how do you, how do you come out right in this one, <laughs> you know? But... Um, Yeah, so, so I have a list here of, whoa, I have a list here of the ones who were released. And so I just want to, the ones who were released already, we need to keep praying for them, right? Like imagine you're 10 and you came, you were held underneath the ground by Hamas for a for six weeks like what's going on in your brain <laughs> like so here's the names of the guys who were released there's a lady named Yafa Adar so just look and see if you have that name okay she has her so that you know that that person was released okay look at the three names you have Margalit Moses she was released we printed these before. you have her wonderful Hannah or Hannah Katsir Somebody have her? She's probably here in this stack here. Uh, Adina Moshe. Adina Moses. You have her. Wonderful. Danielle Aloni. Someone have her? Thank you. And her daughter, Amelia Aloni. Yeah? You have her. And then we have Doron Katz-Asher and Raz Katz-Asher. And Aviv Ashers, we have those guys. Yeah, that's all one family. And uh, Aviv Asher, Aviv, yeah, you have them too. And sorry, I, I said that already. Hannah Perry, or I'm trying to read this handwriting. Hannah Perry, Hannah Perry. Maybe she's in this stack. And Ruth Munder, and Karen Munder, and Ohad Munder. Yeah, the Munder family. You have them. Okay. Emily Hand. She's a young girl. Hila Rotem. Maya Regev. Noam Or. Alma Or. You have them. You have one of them. So those were released. Shiri Weiss and Noga Weiss. Somebody have the Weiss family. 
Okay, and Sharon Avigdori and Noam Avigdori. Yeah, we have them over here, okay. Shoshan Haran, Adi Shoham, and Yahel Shoham. Do you have them? Great. And Nave, Nave Shoham. So those guys were released. So we're not like pre, pre, pray for them a special way, like differently than you pray for the other guys who are not yet, right? <laughs> but, but what I want to do is just take a moment and, um, and just pray. So like, could I have like two or three people volunteer to pray? And I'll just bring you this microphone. Who, who's willing to pray for these guys? Yes. And Yes. Okay, we're going to come around. But let's just, let's just pray for them because they're, they're captive in a place that's not their home and uh, we want to see them come home. And so, so I think we need to exercise our spiritual muscles for these guys right now because they're helpless. And so let's do it. <clears throat> do you want me to pray for these specific people or just in general? I'm going to take these home. Yes. Yeah. Lord, we can't imagine uh, what these people are going through right now. I pray, Lord, that right now you will give them your comfort. Let them know that you are there with them as they are in conditions that we can't fathom, as they are hungry, as they are um, in discomfort, as they are wanting to be home with their loved ones. Give them your comfort and let them know that you are their loved one and that, they, that you care for them deeply. Let them feel your presence, Lord. And Lord, I also pray that as we um, go about our daily lives that we will let this affect us and we will let this sink in of the reality of, of the world as... Um, not as it is in Wilton, everywhere else in the world, and that we will uh, submit things to you that we need to submit to you and that we will trust in you. Lord, give us a heart for these people. Amen. God, uh, lift up. Adi and Tal Shoham. I don't know whether they're brother and sister, husband and wife. I don't know whether it's a comfort for them to be together or it's more horrible knowing that they're both there. Um, and I just ask that you bear them up, God. I pray also <clears throat> for Adasagi. Um, Father, all these have uh, people that love them, uh, none more so than you. You recognize them as uh, people of your promise. And Father, will you remember your promise to them? Will you, in the midst of the darkness that they're in, bring the light of Jesus to them? That no matter what, they'll be with you forever, God. And we lift up... Uh, we lift up this whole situation, Lord, and pray that as you brought good out of Joseph's trip to Egypt, 
you will bring good from this. Amen. Father, I have Ariel and Kafir Bibas, the two little boys, the 10-month-old and the 40. Animate Esther, a young lady, beautiful young lady. And we all have people in our hands, their pictures. We believe that you are able to shine light in darkness. We believe that you can speak to the ones that are old enough to understand as their life hangs in the balance, as their minds race, as they face possible death and wonder if they will ever get out alive. We all pray that every one of them would come back alive. But we also pray that you would pour out your Holy Ghost upon each person Wrap your arms around each person and let them know they are loved and that they have a destiny and a purpose that is higher. God, pierce and destroy that darkness around them, the darkness that rises within their own hearts. Would you answer it by your Holy Spirit? And we even pray that captors who are so bent on evil that you would turn their hearts God, we ask you for great mercy. We ask you for great things to do miracles and bring many, many, all of them home, like rescue them. And we believe, Lord, that you are not powerless or impotent or that you can't work in a situation that's impossible. And we trust you for them. For the people we hold in our hands, we choose to trust you for them that they will receive all that you have for them, that they will become all that you intend for them. And we pray that you would do this even today. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, I'm asking you to do something difficult. I'm asking you to keep praying for these guys because uh, they need it. And... This story isn't over, and it may not be over for a, few, for a while. And so, you know, I don't, we don't even know if these guys are all alive. So, so we don't know even how to pray into all of these situations, but I'm asking you to take that home and pray for them. And if you don't agree to that, just leave the papers on your seat. No offense. It's like, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but, but, um, but, but pray for them, if, if you will. And um, we'd like to sing one more song in Hebrew just to finish this off. But I know I've already sort of stretched the time a little bit. So, should we do that? Should we? Are you sure? You can take you can take more. Sure? If people want to take more, take more. switch over to this one. Thanks, Tom. 
Yeah. So will you stand with me and sing this one last song? So this song says, Our soul waits for the Lord. Our help and our shield is He. And uh, it's just, again, straight out of the Psalms. Nafshenu, nefesh. Nefesh is our soul. So um, you can go ahead and throw that lyric up there. Yeah. Our help and our shield is He. Here we go. Ready? Nafshenu Adonai Ezrenu maginenu Nafshenu chiktal Adonai Ezrenu maginenu Ki bo yismach libenu Ki b'shem kodsho batachnu Ki bo yismach libenu Ki b'shem Kodshomotachnu. <laughs> Amen. In your holy name we've trusted, Lord, our hope is in you and our, our hearts are full of you. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we step forward into this world. We want to bring your grace and your hope and just share it with everyone we know. Thank you that we have a hope and a future brighter than anything we could imagine. Lord, we pray that you would bring, just bring people with us. In Yeshua's name, amen. I'll be very brief, but you need to know this. Uh, as a church, we are not only going to uh, obviously bless them for coming here and provide for them for that separately. We're also going to, uh, as a church, support and give some aid to them being able to go to Israel and that whole process and the church over there. 
If you want to join us with that, you can just mark checks that it's going to go to Chapman's, and we'll direct it with the rest of what we do. It will help, and you also are going to get their email. We're going to break, and we're going to let the Chapman family go first for food, and Anthony can stay up here, and you can bring him what he likes, and, uh, and then, or take a break. And then if you do want to ask questions, it's not going to be like everybody has to stay and do that. Come up to the front and sit down here with your stuff or without your stuff and ask them questions. That's, you can do that. We won't go forever. We won't tax them too far. But I am very thankful that the Lord has given us this connection. Are you? Amen. God bless you.